Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It's great to be with you. I'm Tim Jacobs, and this is the third time I've had the chance to be with you guys and, and actually see all of you. Last few times we were kind of online, and it was like a couple people in the crowd. So it, this is exciting for me. I am what they call the district superintendent of the Evangelical Free Church of America in our district. I live in Phoenix, just down the hill in Litchfield Park, actually, so kind of due south and 30 degrees hotter than you all. So it's a great joy to be here. And I'll show you a quick little picture. This is my family here. And uh, we just, my wife and I recently celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. And this picture was taken on Mother's Day. And uh, yeah, so it's just, uh, we love living in Phoenix, love being here in Arizona. I want to show you real quick a picture of our team. This is our evangelical, uh, our EFCA West team that I get to work with. And I always like to show this picture because, you know, you sit there and go, okay, the denominational guy is going to preach. How boring is this going to be, right? Because when you, when you hear the word denominational worker, the word fun is not usually associated with that. But I love to show you this picture because this is our team. I mean, we have just, I work with this, some of the most tremendously awesome people that you can imagine this is our region, by the way. It's a pretty huge district, and we're kind of in the south, you know, center of that. So we have about 200 congregations that we get to work with. And a lot of people ask, like, what do you guys do anyway? I mean, a district denominational guy. Well, I like to say there's, there's a couple things that we do, but more than anything else, we help churches. And we help churches in three ways. First of all, by building and strengthening leaders. And so you see a picture here. This is, um, we took about 10 pastors to Hume Lake uh, back in March just for a time to build into them. And we're going to do that again in a couple weeks, take 10 more pastors to Hume Lake Christian Camps and just be able to spend time hanging out with them, developing leaders, talking about what it looks like to lead during the, these challenging times that we're in. And the second thing that we help churches do is to start and plant new churches. And so here's a church we have in Long Beach, California called God. Gospel City Church, and right in the middle of downtown Long Beach, and we are helping to support that financially and provide coaching and training and everything else. And finally, we help our churches reach all people. You know that in the region that we're in, in the United States, there's a lot of demographic changes that are happening. We recently uh, took about uh, 10 or 12 what we call the Young Latino, uh, we had a Young Latino Summit, where we took a whole bunch of our um, bilingual and bicultural up-and-coming leaders and spent time training them. And so this is the kind of thing that we get to do, and it is so much fun. In case you're interested, if you're at all interested in, in who we are and want to know more about us, the Evangelical Free Church, this is a QR code. You can hold it up and scan it, and you can go to our website. You can even subscribe to our newsletter and learn more about everything that we do. Because again, your church is a part of this. And so if you have a Bible, by the way, too, go ahead and turn to the book of Zephaniah. And this should not come as a shock to you, by the way, right? Because you're in all of these minor prophet books throughout the Old Testament, many of whom you maybe like never read before or just kind of scanned real quick. And I know when Scott uh, asked me to preach, he's like, I want you to preach on Zephaniah. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, but that's Scott. He's a high challenge guy. He always does this kind of stuff. He has me preach on some fun stuff. So go ahead and turn there. It's between Habakkuk and Haggai in the Old Testament. And uh, 
Well, as I said before, you know what I love about the EFCA and what we do is that we're helping to raise up a new generation of pastors and leaders who can shepherd a new generation of churches because there is a new generation of people who need to know exactly what Zephaniah is going to tell us today, and that is this, that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. I'll never forget, it was January 17th, 1994, and early Monday morning. The night before, I had gone to sleep just like any other night with nothing but the thoughts in my head that I would, you know, a 19-year-old guy would have at that point, college, classes, um, two jobs I was working, dating relationship, just kind of the normal everyday life kind of stuff, nothing special. When all of a sudden, the next thing I knew, I was awakened to the violent shaking of a 6.7 magnitude earthquake that turned out to be only four miles, the epicenter was only four miles from our house. And even though the power had been cut, I was able to just kind of make out and see in my, my room the, the furniture, my bedroom furniture being tossed around like cardboard boxes. I could hear the sound of the dishes and, and glass shattering in the kitchen. I remember going in the backyard and, and water all over the yard because the pool had shaken so much and the water had been sloshed out of the pool. I remember my mom yelling, you know, to, for me to get to my brother and all of this stuff. And I remember the fire that broke out on the hillside when we came outside of the house and we saw this, the flames and the utter and complete disorientation that took place. They had told us for years in California, that the big one is coming. And we had earthquake drills in school, you know, and we always had to practice that. But they warned us over and over, the big one is coming, the big one is coming. And I didn't care, you know, whatever. That's never going to come. But at 4.31 a.m., January 17th, 1994, as far as we were concerned, the big one came. And it changed our lives forever. Our neighborhood was never the same after that. Even so, we would learn later that while the Northridge earthquake of 1994 was a big one, in all actuality, it wasn't the big one. In fact, those Californians, they're still waiting for the big one. Some of you escaped that. You, know, you left and you came over here. But the big one is still yet to come. And when that happens, we're all going to be like a little bit closer to the beach, right? You know about that? So someday that's going to come. But, but as wild as that was, as crazy as that thing is, if you can understand that, then you can kind of get the concept of the day of the Lord that Zephaniah is going to talk about. Because it was an actually, it was a historical event. It actually happened in history. And while it was a big event, while it really did happen, what it really was was a foreshadowing of the big event that is still to come. And why that's significant is when we read this Old Testament book that's buried in the midst of a bunch of other Old Testament books, you can't just read it historically. It is a living document. It hasn't been fully completed 
yet. And so, just like the 6.7 magnitude earthquake, one day, there was, there was a foreshadowing of that another one. One day, the day of the Lord will come, even though it has happened in the past. Kind of like mountain peaks. You climb up to one mountain peak, you see the other one next. It's the way that it works. So, what would I say today... In fact, the big idea of today would be this. Because the day of the Lord is coming, we must live with tremendous urgency and warn everyone we can. And I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Because of the day the Lord is coming, we must live with tremendous urgency and we must warn everyone we can. This is what he's trying to tell us. So let's ask the first question, what are we talking about when we say the day of the Lord anyway? Well, let's look and read what Zephaniah has to say about it. And by the way, as we read this, listen for the adjectives. Listen to how he, the, the descriptive way that he goes about this. Starting with verse 14 in chapter 1. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of uh, trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And so if we were to ask the question, what is the day of the Lord? We could define it this way. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment, reckoning, and justice meant to punish those who have sinned against God without repentance. So it's a day of judgment and reckoning and justice that is for the purpose of punishing those who have sinned against God and, and they have not repented. So we kind of have to think about this because, again, we don't talk about this stuff a lot, which is why, again, I applaud Pastor Scott for diving in and going after these books that a lot of other pastors and a lot of other churches will go, and eh, we'll just sweep that under the rug. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the happy stuff. But we have to contend with this. So what's going on here anyway? Well, for quite some time, the southern kingdom of Judah, which contains the city of Jerusalem, they had been kind of the only remaining Jews that were left that hadn't been conquered. But they had aligned themselves with all the tribes and, and people kind of all around them. So they, they just kind of compromised everything and they, they kind of aligned their beliefs and their faith with, with the other idols and false gods and whatever else. So they were kind of diluting everything that they were. And it had been basically been in rebellion against God for a long time. So that's why you see there is this concentration of these obscure-sounding prophets like Nahum and Habakkuk and now Zephaniah warning the Israelites, you guys, you can't get away with this forever. Everything you're doing, the bill is going to come due. And what happened is it, it, it actually happened. In 586 B.C., the day of the Lord came to the southern kingdom by the hand of the Babylonians. They conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and carried away all of the inhabitants. They exiled, they took, they got rid of all of them except the poorest of the poor who were allowed to remain, but they burned the entire city of Jerusalem to the ground. There was like nothing basically left. And it would be about, 
50 years until the first exiles would even start coming back to live among the ruins, and it would be 140 years before a guy named Nehemiah would show up and say, hey, let's, let's, let's go back to where we were, and let's rebuild the wall, and, and they could be actually begin to find their, their respectability and dignity as a people again. But what's so fascinating about Zephaniah is not only the prophecy against Jerusalem and the people of Judah, but also against her enemies. Most specifically, the most shocking prophecy in the book is against the kingdom of Assyria, and in particular, the capital city of Nineveh. Remember Nineveh, right, from Jonah? Remember that guy who gets swallowed by the whale? Remember the, the epic VeggieTales movie? Some of you, young, you, some of you guys were raised on that movie. I know my, my kids were raised on that movie. So, right, that, that, that was the whole thing. Nineveh, the fish slapping and the whole thing. So this is Nineveh. Now, what you got to know about Nineveh is that it considered itself at the time, that city considered itself as powerful a force in the world as we would now living in the United States of America, and maybe even more so. Because as far as cities go, there was nothing in the world like it. They had in their city a wall that went uh, 60 miles in circumference. Now, I'm not very good at math, but I did the whole how do you calculate circumference thing. I Googled it because it's been a while. And, and I realized, and you can fact check me on this, that it's about eight, um, between eight and nine miles um, around, or on a radius, radius. So, like, if you, if let's say the, the, the courthouse or whatever down the street was like kind of the center of the city, that there'd be a wall around Prescott going all the way around past the airport, that would include the airport all the way around through Prescott Valley and all the way up through here, not quite out, not quite all the way out to Skull Valley, but near there. So a massive wall that would have protected the city. And then there's kind of suburbia and whatever else. And then as you moved inward, they had like agriculture and whatever. And then they had an inner wall that was eight miles in circumference. I think that's right. And it would, it was uh, about it was 50 feet thick and 100 feet high. And so that would go out about a, a, a mile and a quarter from the center. So if you can imagine whatever is in a mile and a quarter of what the center of the city would be, they had a wall that was 50 feet thick, 100 feet high. Imagine living in a city like that at that time. You would walk around, especially if you were in the urban core, and you'd be like, there's no one that can get us. And you had, they had magnificent buildings. They believed themselves to be unconquerable, and with good reason, you would have thought the same thing had you lived there. Yet listen to what Zephaniah says in chapter 2. He says this, And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. By the way, that, that happened during the pandemic. If you remember when, when everyone stayed home and they stayed in their little apartments or whatever else, wild animals came back into the cities. There were, there were reports of that. It didn't take very long. When, when people vacate, animals come in. So this is what it's talking about. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. So the roofs will be cut off. You'll be able to see the insides of these great buildings that they had built. And catch this. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one 
steps. Do you hear the arrogance of that? Do you hear the self-assuredness of that? It will always be us. And that was true. Until one day, like a jolt at 4.31 a.m., sure enough, a coalition of the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Scythians in 612 B.C. absolutely pulverized them. In fact, Nineveh was destroyed so utterly comprehensively that this famous Greek named Lucian in the 2nd century A.D. commented and said, Nineveh is so completely destroyed that it is no longer possible to say where it stood. Not a single trace of it remains. In fact, you can see that it says what a desolation she has become. A lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. Hisses, right? In fact, now, because of archaeology and time passing and everything else, we do know where, um, where Nineveh is or where it was. It's in modern-day Iraq in the area of Mosul. In fact, ISIS, uh, whatever relics they did find in parts of that was great archaeological discoveries, but they went and actually destroyed even more of it. But this is Nineveh today. Uh, not exactly a booming real estate market like Prescott. It's not exactly a place that you would want to go. And yet this prophecy, at the time that it was said, would have been as laughable and ridiculous to the ears of the citizens of Nineveh as it would be if you had heard someone back in February of last year say, hey, listen, just go buy all the toilet paper and hand sanitizer you can afford. Just trust me. That's how insane this guy's words would sound. So we can see that the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, reckoning, and justice meant to punish those who have sinned against God. But again, like the 6.7 earthquake, that day of the Lord was a day of the Lord, but not yet the day of the Lord. It wasn't the big one because the big one is still coming. We are still in the midst of much of the, what the prophecy talks about. But the next question we want to ask then is because, I mean, I'm thinking if, if I'm you and, you know, I was reading this, and I was asking myself like, okay, what do you do with this? I want to ask the second question, like, why is this necessary? I mean, if we're honest, I mean, why, does, why would God do this? Isn't this kind of judgy, right, to talk about all this judgment? It's kind of mean. And isn't it kind of primitive for us in our sophisticated society that we live in now? I say that somewhat sarcastically. But, but isn't it, I mean, aren't we past this kind of stuff? I mean, gosh, Tim, you know, you come in here as a guest speaker and you throw out all this, like, judgment stuff to us. I mean, don't you have something happier for us? Well, the reason for God's judgment that Zephaniah basically gives throughout the book are you can be boiled down to these two things. First, because of sin against God and subsequent brutality against his people. This is an important thing to note. Why does God make such a big deal about sin? I mean, what, like, what, what's so bad? Like, right, I mean, like, why should I have to listen to what God says? And, and why does he, why do I have to do things his way? And if we don't, he gets so mad. Well, first of all, we have to understand that 
from God's perspective, he is at the center of the universe, not you, not me, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of like extras, right? We're like at the bottom of the credits, if anything, right? We don't like, but God is who the story is about. And he is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And not only that, but the Bible says that he gave us his one and only son. He, 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 he went further than anyone ever could for us. He died in our place. There's all this beauty we have in God. And yet the Bible also says that all of us have walked away from him. So when you sin against God, it's, it's, it's of course an offense to his nature. It's an, it's an affront against his holiness. It is all those things. But also, whenever we do sin against God, the way the world is engineered, it always results in suffering and pain and ruin in the lives of others. See, that's the part we don't think about. When the next time someone says, well, what, we have, what I do, I'm not hurting anybody. Really? Play that one out. Play that one out. It's just a lie. Yeah, it's just, it's just a little bit of an addiction. It's, not, it's just me. It's my body. It's not hurting anybody. But the way that God has, wor- has wired the world is when we sin against him, it always results in catastrophe, in ruin, in breaking the fabric of societies apart, in communities, in families, and relationships. It isolates us. It, it moves us away from one another. It makes us forget God. And yet... Isn't it so ironic that the same people who are so, um, put, uh, who are so offended by the idea of judgment of God have no problem with the concept of karma? You ever notice that? You ever hear, like karma is kind of like a, it's kind of like a cool thing, right? If you, t- if you talk about karma, it means that you're kind of cultured. You know, you're kind of sophisticated, like you're cosmopolitan. You know, and people have no problem rejecting every word that was be written in here, but say, oh, well, karma, karma's going to get him, man. I just know. I've seen on social media, oh, look out, here comes karma. What goes around comes around. The universe is going to get you back. Isn't it ironic that the same people that have serious problem with the idea of the judgment of God have no problem with justice meted out by some impersonal force of karma. While the title of this sermon, Relentless Judgment, would seem archaic to those people, The reality is that karma, we'll see in a moment, is much worse than even this. Much more brutal and much more primitive. But setting that aside for a second, when we talk about, well, well, what, what can we get out of this? I mean, gosh, this is pretty negative stuff, talking about the judgment of God. Let's flip the script for a moment. Because while there's something terrifying about the judgment of God, about the day when this day will happen where you will give an account, right? There's also something beautiful about it as well. What do I mean? Well, the reality is most of us, if not all of us, but many of you walk around carrying hurt and pain from someone who has hurt you badly in your life. Something that someone else has done to you. Maybe, for example, maybe you have gone through sexual abuse and your abuser is still out there and they never got caught. And you see him, and it looked like their life is just fine. And no one knows. And you, in your heart, you're like, where's the justice for that? Does anyone see what I had to go through? Does anyone know the humiliation that I felt? Does anyone know the, how it just ruined me in so many ways? And that person, it's like, it's like they got away with it. Well, I have news for you. 
The day of the Lord is a day where no one gets away with anything save repentance, which we'll talk about in a minute. So you need to know if that's happened to you and you feel like there's no justice in the world, please believe this prophecy. There is justice coming. And it'll be done a lot more comprehensively than either you or any legal system could ever do. Why? Because that was a sin not done only against you, but against a holy God. And that who is that person is going to have to contend with. So don't worry about justice. Same thing, maybe a different story. Maybe you were cheated out of something. Maybe someone stole money from you. They ruined your business. They, they tarnished your reputation. They lied to you and it cost you. And they got away with it. And yeah, you want to forgive, but deep down you're like, man, is, is there ever going to be any justice? And Zephaniah's message is, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You don't need to worry about taking justice into your own hands. That's going to be done for you. The day of the Lord is coming. How do we know? Well, we know that it's still to come because Jesus talked about it. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. In fact, look what Jesus says. Jesus says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. That has not happened yet. That is still to come. Listen to Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Ah, right? 4.31 a.m. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And ready for this? Ready for this? This is the money shot. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Hasn't happened yet. Been some foreshadowing. Been some localized judgment. But the big one is still to come. So let's flip the script again because you're like, okay, well, that's kind of cool, but what if I'm the abuser? What if I'm the cheater? What if I'm the rotten person and I know this is coming? What do I do? Well, the answer to that, how do I prepare for the day of the Lord? Because that's what's really at issue here is you got to do one thing very simply. That is make sure the Savior King, Jesus, has paid for my sins in full. Now I say this, uh, the, the reason I chose that phrase, Savior, King, is because both of those words are important because that's who Jesus is, right? He, he's, he's our Savior. He, he paid for our sins on the cross. He traded places with us. He took the punishment we deserve, and it was brutal, and it was awful, and it was final, and it was comprehensive. But he's also our King, which means he is the one who sits in the rightful place of authority in our lives. And so I need to make sure that, that I've trusted in him. Why? Because someday someone's going to pay. Someone's going to pay. You just got, you get the opportunity to decide who's going to pay. Either Jesus pays or you pay. But somebody is going to pay for the sin you have caused and the pain you have caused and the offense you have done against the Holy God. Same thing with me. But that's the whole thing. And see, thankfully, for you and me, 
We have a God who's provided a way out. And see, this is where karma fails. This is where all the people who love to talk about how tolerant and loving and cosmopolitan and free-thinking they are and say, I'm not going to limit myself to this rigidity, their whole argument falls apart because in karma there is no grace. There is no way out. You get what's coming to you. And that's never good. Never good. But with, but with God, there's a way out that's made. There's an escape route. There's a chance because of who he is. Because he sees us when we're at our worst. And he chooses not to leave us there. He provides us with a way out. And you see, this is, this is so far superior to any other worldview. This is why Zephaniah doesn't end with destruction. It ends with grace and restoration because that is who our God is. He's not some impersonal force out there, but he is a God with mind, will, emotions, and a heart that is so much purer than any of ours could ever be. And so it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Do you hear that? Sing and shout. Why? The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. See, that's the King. He is in your midst. That's the pre-envisioning of the Messiah ruling on the earth. You shall never again fear evil. Again, this hasn't happened yet. This hasn't happened yet. This is a living document. It still has words for us today. On that day it should be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one he will, who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult, you, exult over you with loud singing. Man, that's, that's the future for those who are found in Christ. So who's going to pay? Romans 4 says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. You ever done any lawless deeds? I have. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Hey, I always say, you know, you don't have to believe this. You can believe what you want. It's a free country. But you should come up with something better. And I just don't think you can. So Zephaniah begs the people of Judah, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Do you, do you hear the urgency? Do you hear the pleading? Now, you may be like I was back on, you know, prior to January 17th. You might be one of those, yeah, come on. Each day is going to be like the previous one. This is not, if it happens, it's sure not going to happen in my lifetime. Well, you know, the day of the Lord is kind of like one of those warranties, right? Like three years or 36,000 miles, whichever comes first. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a dumb thing to think, well, I'll just, you know, I'll die before the day of the Lord. Well, if you die, it's still too late, right? So you've got to think about that. Our son Ryan goes to the University of Chicago. 
One of his classmates, same age, same major, almost kind of looks like him, made national news earlier this month when he was riding the Green Line, which my son has ridden many times. And a stray bullet hit him in the neck. Just, you know, Chicago, right? Another day in paradise. Next thing he knows, he's laying in a hospital bed. He'll never walk again. He'll never eat on his own again. He can't even talk, so he blinks out. Please take me off life support. I don't want to live like this. Week before that, another University of Chicago student, just living his life on a beach in Miami in a high-rise condo. And all of a sudden, the ground just gave way ceiling caved in. That was it. No warning, no preparation. I, I don't know how else to say this, but I, I, I guess I honestly in my life now, I, I, can't, I can't imagine taking another breath without being absolutely certain what will become of me if that next breath is my last one? And yet some people, maybe some of you, just walk around in this beautiful little town like tomorrow will be just like today. The bullets are flying. The buildings are falling down. The infections are attacking. So where are you? And where are the people who are closest to you? If you're good with Jesus, good. But this prophecy saying, man, you've got to warn people. It's like Penn and Teller. Remember the guy, Penn and Teller, those two comedians? And Penn, Penn is a rabid atheist. He came out with a video of several years ago where he goes, hey, look, I don't understand all this criticism of Christians proselytizing. He goes, if you believe that I'm in a car and it's going off a cliff, why would you not wave your arms and say, you're going to go off a cliff, you're going off a cliff. Why would you not do that? How hateful of a person do you have to be to stand there while I careen off the cliff? He's right. So there's two audiences here today. One is the one that says, you know what? The day of the Lord's coming. I believe I need to, I need to do business with Jesus today. The second is, yeah, I know where I'm going and I'm good. But I got to start doing some Zephaniah kind of action in my, in my community. I got to let him know. Because things can change like that. Let's pray together. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I need Jesus. I need that Savior King. I need a way out. Right where you are, just tell him. Just say, God, today my life belongs to you. I know the day the Lord's coming. And on that day, I want it to be a day of rejoicing for me. A day where, where everything is revealed and, and it'll be finally known that you've covered my sin and you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the outcome I want. So today I'm giving up. I'm done playing games. I'm done with the shenanigans. I'm done pretending. I'm confronting reality. And I'm saying, take my life. For the rest of us, 
who've made that decision, who are walking with you, Lord, may we not get another restful night's sleep until we can say with confidence that the people who are closest to us at least know what's coming. Thank you that you give us a way out. Thank you that all things will be made new, that you will wipe away every tear, and there will be justice in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.